0: And now we're actually on. Okay, let's go ahead and let's have some fun. Hi, this is Michael Waits. <laughs> and welcome back to Impact at Scale. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Today we are joined by Aparna Patnagar Saxena, the CEO of Toraja Melo. Toraja Melo. Aparna, thank you so much for coming on the show and for putting up with my, what appears to be a lame attempt at saying your name and the name of the company. I really appreciate you doing this. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Michael, and as I was saying, I appreciate the effort you're putting in pronouncing my names because it often gets mutilated, so really appreciate it, and I'm quite excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me.
0: It is my complete pleasure. Can I ask you this before we get into your full background? Where are you from?
1: I'm from Mumbai, India.
0: You are from India. Okay, so can you explain your name to me? Can you just run through this a little bit? Three names? What is the significance of these three names?
1: Okay, so Aparna is my first name. It's another name for the, the goddess Parvati, the concert of Lord Shuk, right? Um, nice. And uh, yeah, I, I'm youngest of three. So all of us have names with A. So that's me, Aparna. Then Bhatnagar is actually my mom's maiden, maiden surname. I wanted to keep her name as a feminist. And then Saxena is my father's uh, last name. Yeah.
0: Is it traditionally in India, again, just from my edification, but is it traditionally to drop your mother's name normally? So when your mother gets married, she drops her name normally and takes on the name of her husband. Is that normal?
1: Indeed. Yes. It's very normal and very common. And uh, you have to really ask that question, right? I started asking that. Yeah. And uh, of course, it's a big legal hazard to change it. Fully. So now I've just started using it, right? I want to make sure that my mom's name also stays, my mom's family name also stays along.
0: Yeah. I mean, you kind of want to make sure that it doesn't go away, right?
1: Indeed. Yeah.
0: I love it. Okay. Let's get a little bit more of your background for some context and then let's jump into the main part of this conversation.
1: So how detailed do you want me to go?
0: You know, I've got plenty of time. Go for it. <laughs> Anything okay, you sure. want. Okay, <laughs>
1: Sure, so I'm Aparna, um, and uh, yeah, you don't need to tell my full name. Um, from Mumbai, India, daughter of um, two feminists, actually, a scientist and a banker, a dad and mom. So was lucky to have really feminist upbringing. Youngest of three, the only girl. So I think since a very young age, um, the concepts of you know social justice and caring for the environment, each animals. Um somehow, you know, inculcated in me because of where I was in a green township. So I really look back as those as the days when, you know, I think my whole thought process was seeded. And because of the way I was brought up, I just chose to do whatever I had to do as long as I owned uh, the responsibility for it. right? Right. So whatever decisions I've made, I own them, be it good or bad. I think that's something that uh, I learned. I was encouraged to go and you know pursue whatever, as long as you know I you know took back whatever I could. So um, engineer, then did my MBA. Followed a bit of a traditional path. Yeah, uh, had a career in logistics for a while, but that gave me exposure to working in Mumbai, Delhi, then Singapore, and that's when the entrepreneurship bug hit me for the first time became an entrepreneur in Singapore, went down south. Yeah, and then, but our periods when I was exposed to impact entrepreneurship, because I started working with this organization called Angels of Impact in Singapore that works with women-led uh, businesses, um, you know, women-led social enterprises across ASEAN. And that was first exposed to Turajam Mello, I'm telling you this because the connection goes way back to end of 2016, yeah? Yeah. And then I ended up moving to Jakarta, but not with Rajamello, with e-commerce company, Lazada, managing you? their logistics in Indonesia. Yes, I did. And was a very big learning experience. Enjoyed it because it's, you know, a crazy country with crazy logistics challenges. And then also, very interestingly, I moved to Vietnam to be part of an ed tech. Yeah. So that's my second venture into entrepreneurship. Okay. I was there for six months, very interesting experience, enjoyed the country. But again, I guess similar reasons wasn't a perfect value alignment. I was not fitting in. And anyway, I was supposed to come back to Indonesia to launch that business here. So I came back. This is Jan 2020. We are hearing news of COVID already. Right. That's when the founder reached out. Because I had continued to stay associated with rajamel as an advisor okay. Yeah. after I moved here. So she basically reached out and asked me to essentially basically asked me to take over she said Aparna I can't do this need someone younger need someone more aligned with what is needed and honestly Michael I was impressed because very rarely founders recognize their own limitations right and so that's huge amount of self-awareness because I've had two I've had had two interesting you know disasters or learning experiences I actually took a step back and said let me think about it because this is literally leading a social enterprise in a country where we work with communities it's grassroots yeah so I took a few months to think I was doing a project then I said yes to her in end of March 2020 and effective June 2020 I was the pandemic CEO of the Rajamello. that's my journey
0: What a great story. I want to back up a little bit because I want to understand what it's like. And I'm going to use the word little girl, right? Because when you're three years old and five years old and six years old, I think that's an okay characterization. Obviously not when you're in your 20s and 30s. But what is it like as a little girl being brought up by two feminists, right? And I I just want to understand like how you know. Do you know what I mean? Because it, it it can't be, what's the right word? Like prescriptive. Your mom and dad can't be continuously telling you you have to do this, you have to behave like this. Do you know what I mean? But there's a way that you get brought up. How does that feel? And what is it like? Can can I understand that better?
1: Sure. And a very good question. I've never been asked this. So interestingly, you don't realize this is feminism till you step out and realize what's happening outside with others. Yeah, And as you grow up, Because for me, that was normalized. For me, it was normalized for both parents to be working, my mother to be busier than my father. My father, who was the cook who taught my mom how to cook, was still a better cook. Yeah. Um, Better caregiver, right? Was more involved. And so I saw this, right? So it's basically assimilating that. And honestly, I'll tell you, Michael, there were times I used to think like, are we an odd family or what? (laughs) Because I don't see this around, Yes. So... But then we were very happy being odd actually, yeah.
0: I wanna understand during the growing up period when you realize like when you go to your friend's house and you see the interaction between mom and dad and you think, that's not what it's like in my house. So which one is not the norm, right? Because when you grow up, it's just the way like your family's cooking is the best cooking in the world until you go out and you're like, okay, there's different stuff out there. But it's the same thing about like the way you get brought up. You're like, this is all I know. So this has to be Mm -hmm. right. Do you know what I mean? When do you realize that it's different, but it's okay, or better even?
1: Very interesting question. It's um, so both were very involved parents, and it was a true partnership. So yeah. I think the positives of the partnerships was were, was there, right? What maybe sometimes I would feel because we would have different timings, right? So it there wouldn't be many times when we are all sitting down together for dinner. Okay, that was something that really was in my mind. Hey, like, it doesn't happen because, you know, dad's come early or yep. maybe and mom has gotten delayed or, or, or our brother's out somewhere. So that was one thing where I used to feel, yeah, we don't, you know, maybe don't do that. But then we would, have these lovely weekends where we would go out as a family and do tons of fun activities together and and it would be fine. But that was one noticeable thing interestingly because since a young age we were also put in daycare because both parents were working. working yeah i think that independent drive was in us since start so somehow i think at least for me i can't speak for my brothers yeah so i'm the only girl by the way is that i could just feel that what i have is right somehow that that this is good and i'm happy with it because you know both of them are exposing us to you know different things, etc. So somehow I think I got it. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, I did that, and my mom was always involved. Right? It's not that you know you you had a invisible parent, so that was never there with either of them. Right. But yes, as I said, possibly dinners is what I would say that we would not have as many dinners, and of course not lunches, right? Because kids in school and parents at work, so that's a, that's a different. And we would both end up um, going to like we the three of us were in different daycares right so that that possibly yeah you know gave me what is called honestly at for for that time right you know it was a very, it was a different uh, childhood right my mom being a career woman i am extremely proud of that fact yeah
0: i want to share something with you because i don't believe that i was actively raised as a feminist but i want to share a story with you that i don't think i've shared actually on any of my shows before my grandfather, who actually ended up being a very successful businessman, right, could not read and write his own name, could not sign his own checks, and could not do mathematics because he, ra- he stuttered. So okay. This is important to note. He okay. stuttered, right? So when he was seven years old, they kind of ran him out of school because they thought he was you know, mentally retarded, right? This is back in the teens in the United States, 19 teens. You know, and he kind of booted around a little bit, but ended up building a pretty decent business and he married a woman who was like a mathematical genius. So she helped him. Wow. She, she was brilliant. Wow. My grandmother was brilliant. But she helped him through all these things. And because of that, I won't say he worshipped her. But boy, he definitely leaned on her. And he needed her a mm-hmm. lot, right? Because a lot of the stuff that he accomplished, he couldn't have done because he couldn't write his own name. He couldn't sign his own checks, right? So mm-hmm. she did all that for him. She did all this mathematics for him as well. And, and I think that that kind of bled down through my dad into me and to my brother. So I don't that's why I asked you the question, right? Because you know, my mom and dad never said you have to be this way with women, but you just watched and you saw these men could not do like the partnership was strong, right?
1: Yeah. So that's why I asked you that yeah. question
0: because I wanted to understand what it looked like from Indeed. your perspective. Exactly, you know what I exactly mean? Exactly right? and
1: same thing I totally get you and exactly to your point, there was no prescription, right? There was no like, no. this is the, you saw that, right? Yeah. We we saw them working together, cooking together, also having fights, okay? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, um, but and we saw the, the role they played, like all three of us learned cooking by watching them. And these were life skills. We were three very independent kids. Yeah. I wouldn't say my brothers or I am, you know, now we can become a bit lazy, but essentially i would say that there was never a discrimination so i was never told hey you are a girl right so no i never felt that i was and again this becomes a very interesting story maybe it's very normalized but i was the only girl to take up mechanical engineering in the history of the college i joined Wow. right yeah and and because i wanted to so i didn't do it to prove a point i uh, my father was a tinkerer at a very young age so that's we were making pieces of furniture i still can you know fix a light bulb make put a tube light drill holes and it was all three of us and we used to be like hey this is child labor dad but you know we and now we look back we look back and we feel wow this was so different and i have to share this interesting memory with you go ahead So I walked into my, you know, engineering college hostel and my parents had come to drop me off. I think it was my, yeah, I think my father, my father had come to drop me off. And what we had done is I needed a bookshelf. So we had dismantled the bookshelf I had at home. And it was like these four planks and then it was tied. And of course, I had the tools, the screws and the screwdriver to fix it back up. And it was such an interesting sight for my later friends to walk into this room where they see this weird girl fixing up and they're like who is this person what is doing? right what is she doing and like why and for me this was all like normal right and this was like expected and there's another thing I really am thankful to my dad I know this is becoming a lot about my dad um but I have to is the fact that um there's one basic principle he taught me right? this whole thing about chivalry and everything never, right? He said, you should carry only enough luggage that you can manage. This whole thing about, you know, the stereotype of women with bulky luggage and acting like that. Somehow with us, he was very clear, right? Irrespective of whether you are a boy or a girl, carry only enough that you can manage, right? And that sort of stayed with me, you know, and there have been times I have, I'm like dragging and I'm whatever, but you know, that sort of ingra- got ingrained in me that no. And people would often call me stuck up, but it was not. I'm not putting anyone down. Right. It's just that if I can manage, I will. If I yeah. need help, I will ask. I'll ask. But don't let my gender decide that I need help. You know, don't let my gender decide.
0: I, I want to share two more things with you. And then I want to get to Toraja Mello because I th- find it sure. so interesting that Two people who grew up in completely different cultures. I'm a man, you're yep. a woman, right? And on the, literally yeah. on other sides of the world and I'm also probably 20 years older than you are. Two things. One is I never remember and I hadn't really thought about this actually until this conversation. I don't remember my mom and dad ever saying to my, I have two sisters and a brother, right? I don't remember ever saying to them, oh, don't do that. That's not for girls to do. Ever. I don't remember it mm. at all. And I think mm. that's super progressive for the 1970s, right? But again, it's,
1: wow yeah
0: wow. so you grew that's up in this impressive. Environment. that's
1: impressive
0: yeah you just yeah. take it for granted so i think i kind of had the reverse experience of you it's like when i got out into the main world i'm like why is that guy acting like that to that girl anyway but the second thing is and this is the luggage thing you know every year for halloween we would go out and buy pumpkins yeah Right. So we all got our own. So there were four of us. So we'd go out and buy four pumpkins and we'd carve them and leave them on the the front doorstep. And my dad always said the same thing. You can have any pumpkin you want, all of you, as long as you can carry it yourself.
1: Excellent. Respect for your dad. Exactly. That's the point. Right. Take as much as you can manage. Right. Um, And and these are such simple values. You get it, but they stay with you. And I now I look back, and exactly like you said, when I, I mean, of course, I would see it at school also, there were differences, right? Sure. And by the way, I was in a colony of scientists and engineers, so supposedly progressive, but we had a lot, I saw a lot of regressive parenting around, again, no comments, but yeah, (laughs) so I was possibly maybe, I was never the most intelligent, right? And maybe...
0: Whatever that means, but...
1: Yeah, whatever that is, but... uh, for sure, right? My friends, be it boys or girls, my parents knew all my friends, they knew everyone. There was, I never had the need to hide anything
0: yeah. in general, right. right?
1: Of course. But yeah, so I think those things, now that I look back, and when I stepped out, I realized that I was so lucky. And yeah. that's why, Michael, that there is this drive in me that I want to make sure that I can make things better for others. Because other women do not get that chance and opportunity. A lot of them think that being their gender is such a big disadvantage or even a curse. And it's just so shocking and appalling, right? Yeah, And it hits you because you recognize your privilege. And that's why I would really like to extend that. Yeah, I mean,
0: at some level, what you say is what you become, right? So the more you repeat this to yourself, the more you become that, not true for everybody, but in some cases, I think that that can end up being really powerful. The other thing, and one of the reasons why I ask people for their background when we record is not to just waste a lot of time or not for my own self-interest. It's because I don't think you can separate who you are from the things you care about. And it's so clear. I don't even have to ask you now why you do this thing. Because when you're at Lazada, and nothing against it, right? Great, these are all really interesting businesses. When you're sitting in the corporate world, you are fighting against this drive you have about who you are and you have to have a oh way to God. express it. You have to have a way were to express you? it. No. Sorry. Oh my
1: God. Were you in my mind or what? Because that's what it was like. Yeah. That's what it was like. It was an excellent learning experience, but I used to think like, yeah, right. I'm on the dark side.
0: There's just no way to express yourself, right? Cause you have all this yeah. stuff inside you, even inside the office, you can, push for gender equality, you can push for all this normalization, and yet, there's really no outlet for it. So explain to me how you get from there to Tora Jamelo. I mean, obviously, you told the story about how the founder, and I love this, you're right, most founders are not self-aware enough to say, this is a great idea, I've built like the minimum viable infrastructure to do this, but I can't do it myself. And I need somebody like that insane woman over there to kind of help me do yeah. it. And I say <laughs> exactly. that with the utmost respect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I you have to be crazy. So yeah. I have to admit I am crazy and I have to acknowledge and accept that because you have to. There has to be a bit of insanity to make decisions that seem out of the normal, right? And yeah. it's it's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. So go ahead.
1: And how did I land up? Again, it's an interesting story. So backstory is that. When I was with Angels of Impact and um, Toraja Mello was one of the businesses they were supporting, right? Out of nine in ASEAN region. And as I was part of Angels of Impact, we needed to know stories of each of these businesses. So we had had an event and it seems in that event, I was talking about Toraja because we would also hold these pop-ups where you would talk about the products and the stories. And she tells me that she saw me speaking about Torajamello. Mello. And she sort of did a double take and this is her work and not mine. Like tears in eyes, like, and also both of us have short hair. She's like, this is my young Indian version. Like what's <laughs> happening? And I didn't know this, by the way, this she told me only in 2020, by the way. Sure. She's never told me this only when I was, you know, deciding to take over. Um, then she said, you know, Aparna, I've been looking at you. And there's been no one who's won my trust because do remember Toraja Mello has been around since 2008. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. She started it in 2008. So, and I met her in 20 end of 2016 and 2017. Yeah. So,
0: so let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. What's the idea around Toraja Mello and how, because between 2008 and 2016, I mean, it's almost like two different worlds. And then again, from 16 to 23, it's like two different worlds as well. And not just because of the pandemic, just because of the impact of, first of all, Indonesia was not a place where people considered to build startup companies, right? It just wasn't. Second, it would not have been the place where people thought, here's the place where I'm going to build a business that's going to help women in particular. Not that it shouldn't be or couldn't be, but it wasn't just the image that people had, right? And the third is the technology world and the ability to apply technology to this business and help People in remote areas communicate with each other properly, is that then they can affect this business is just completely different, not to mention your logistics experience. So how do all these things tie together?
1: Again, great question. So one is the backstory as to why Dini uses, or let's call her for simplicity, DJ, you know, sounds yep. so cool. Um yeah. So basically she's married to a Turajanese and she was actually on a break in Turaja way back in 2008, because she's being a banker and an activist, and she was actually burned out. She was like, I'm with the world. Now I want to break. And yeah. Toraja is in beautiful highlands. It's a it's a beautiful place. yeah. So she was actually relaxing, and she ended up seeing non-Indigenous babies with Oriental features. And she was surprised. She's like, I'm deep in the Highlands, Indigenous region of Sulawesi, right? right. And these are so why am I seeing these babies who don't have local features? So what's here, right? I mean, have you had some migration? Is this a new community? So she inquired and she came to know that these were actually kids of young Tarajanese women born out of wedlock when they were working largely as domestic helpers in Singapore, Malaysia, Jakarta and other places. Got it. And because they can't keep the kids, they would come and drop them off with the grandparents. Now, why were they leaving? Because there was lack of employment and weaving, which was one of the indigenous crafts, was not that popular at that time. It was losing its, uh, you know um, popularity. So hence, a lot of these women who were weavers, yeah, who used to earn money through weaving, had to look for other sources of employment, right? Wow. So this hit her. This really hit her. And then because she had been a activist, a women's rights activist,
0: so she's married to a Torajanese. She's there hanging out, yes. relaxing, taking a break, and she notices that there are some children or young people around that don't look similar to the other people there and just yeah. kind of does all the math and realizes that some of the young ladies that had been living there, that are from there, said, there's no place for me to work here because the skills that I have are kind of a dying industry. So I'm going to go to Singapore, go to some other countries and earn. And when they were there, they had kids, they couldn't support the so They sent the kids home and that she noticed that. And then she put all this stuff together and said, I need to do something. Is that fair?
1: Yes, Go ahead. Def- exactly that. Exactly that. And what she also discovered was a weaving collective close to her mother-in-law's village. Yeah. Right. Yep. So because if you are asking people to stay back, you have to also figure like how will they relearn or are they willing, right? Because yeah. the, uh, willingness has to be there. So it started with the question of asking, if I buy your weaving, will you stay? Right. They said, of course, right? Why, right. If Why I get I enough I to, to survive. Indeed. If I get to survive and thrive, because what would happen is it led to one of the biggest, I think, factors is when the mother is away, right? I mean, other parent, of course, but when the mother is away, it leads to breakdown of the family, right? And then the father would also be a migrant worker somewhere else. And then you know, these kids are growing up without their parents and then grandparents cannot take care. So there was a lot of other messes too. I mean, um, she shared cases of incest and everything. So it was pretty scary, yeah. right? Yeah. So so which is why it started from that and from her just buying that weaving and then her discovering that, hey, what you weave is not really fitting the market. So I now need to teach you what the market is about, right? Right. That's where the capacity building piece came in. That we have to train you for the market because what you weave for yourself is not what my market will need. So you don't have to change your motives, but the color palettes, the quality, right, the standards, and that's where this whole process of you know capacity building, training, and development came in, which is the core, right, which yeah. is the starting point. Every time we work with any community, we right. check on that.
0: So, do you feel? Because I, I want to put these two things together. Yes. Here's this, and I'm gonna go back to you when you were a little girl. Here's this little girl yes. who's brought up in an environment with two working parents, raised as a feminist, right? Who goes around Southeast Asia working at startup companies, works for logistics companies. Like it's almost like you were born to do Jamelot in a way, and like someone was just waiting to pick you out of like the group of people to yes. do this. Do you feel that way? Yes. And did you feel like when you met her? here's the thing because you said you were telling the story of it and if you can tell the story to other people about something in which you're not involved almost as well if not better than the person who founded it they almost have to grab you and just jam you into it so you do this yeah
1: yeah yeah and i didn't know this right so i didn't know i was in her radar right because what i did was when i moved here with lazada because i had known to Roger and I had visited her as part of my work. And she had actually stayed over at my place when she had come to Singapore, right for right. that event. So I had liked her personality. So she's like this, you know, by the way, Michael, this woman is 66, but she doesn't look it. Yeah. She's like a fireball, right jumping it. around. In fact, I have to tell you, I am the mature one. I literally have a 66 year old kid right now. Okay? <laughs> so, so that's why for me, this vibe was wonderful. And what I actually did was when I moved here, I reached out to two other social enterprises too. Actually, I tried saying, Hey, I'm here in my free time, I'd love to volunteer because I love your work. Right. She's the one who grabbed me. She said, Let's meet for coffee. I need help. I still remember we met in a Starbucks on a Sunday, and I had just moved on a Thursday. So we met on a Sunday. She said, Hey, can you help us? Can you can you get involved? Right. And then I ended up joining the board of advisor, right? Right. So I think it was also that, I think we just gravitated towards each other. And I guess I was this voice of reason that she would see, because I, I'm i known to just say things as they are, right? <laughs> I'm not Sometimes
0: surprised. Sometimes very
1: difficult, yes. And I've often been told, hey, you're not like a typical Indian woman. And I'm like, okay that is a lot of stereotyping but yes i've been told that actually can, can, can i can, <laughs> sorry
0: you're not like a typical indian yeah. woman so just the simple math says that there are 599 999 999 other you know million other indian women who cannot all be the same i know that seems obvious right because if you're half the population in india which is 1.2 1.4 billion people i'm not sure what typical means But I get it. Maybe you're not, what they mean is you're not conservative. You're very progressive or at least thoughtful.
1: But it's a weird thing
0: to say, right?
1: It's very weird. And this is where stereotyping and sexism comes in, right? Where we attach these kind of archetypes to the way people should be behaving. I mean, anyone should be allowed to behave the way I am. So I am who I am. I am an oddity. But my gender is secondary to that, right? Yeah. It's me as an individual, the way I am. So, uh, but I think that takes a lot of uh, unpacking for a lot of people, right? We've all been conditioned so much that yeah. we tend to act on these stereotypes. So again, I think so she and I just to bring back the story, because I don't want to, I think we'll otherwise keep chatting for next three hours, the way you and I are going. <laughs> is the fact that we just gravitated towards each other. And then we stayed connected. I have to admit, because of my work, I used to almost do 14 to 16 hours of work, right? But, sure. Because it is crazy managing last mile for Indonesia. And yeah. this. Um, but um, so I wasn't very deeply involved, but I got exposed. I visited Taraja, I visited two other locations. So I got the I was getting the sense of it. And I and you're right to, I think, sense it. And I also realized it later is life was coming a full circle for me with this, you know. So I went around, I made a few mistakes, you know, I call I call them errors of judgment. But it, the exposure, right? I will not change anything because it made me learn about. People and, um, you know, how we need to uh, understand different dynamics and why. And I basically understood why my values always are the most important thing for me, right? Yeah. Values above everything else. And I that sort of, I think, got drilled in um, with each of these experiences I had had and even in my career earlier. And I think with Turaja Mello, it was essentially. You know, coming a full circle because finally, Michael, I was in a position where I would be in the driver's seat. So yeah. yes, I own the successes, failures, both. But whatever I do, it's on me, and I'm not acting on someone's order. It
0: sounds like yeah? mom and sounds like mom and dad would would recognize this attitude. No. Yes,
1: yes, yes. I've been known as a grandma since I was nine years old by, <laughs> essentially called that by my mom. Okay, <laughs> so. And actually, there's another point is this two questions that I asked her, which again, DJ says, you know, she says that that sort of cemented our agreement is I told her when she said, Aparna, will you take over? I said, two conditions, right? And she's the one who says it much better. Is One is I asked her that, do you trust me? Okay, so the trust part, you have to trust me. Yeah, And secondly, you have to accept that I'll be doing things very differently than you have done. And you'll have to like accept and have your peace with it. Right. So these two parts, and I said, these two are very critical because if that's not there, then, you know, this won't work even if we try. And I think that sort of essentially also, you know, told, I gave her that moment to internalize and, and she said, yes, I do. And, I think that's why there's no looking because we fight like crazy. By the way, it's not that we are always aligned. We sure. fight. We literally fight like mother and daughter. She's yeah. like my Indonesian mom. right? But we always align because we both are aligned on the mission and vision above anything else. It's not about my ego, her ego. It's about what the Rajamelo stands for, where we want to take it. And that we had crafted together. So therefore, whatever is in interest of this organization to succeed, we will do that. And I think that has been our grounding point.
0: What what is the mission? I mean, for people that haven't been able to figure it out yet, what is the mission here?
1: So our mission is to essentially work and support uh, indigenous communities focused around women. So there's indigenous focused around women under the ages, right? involving environmental social and cultural approaches so essentially we want to work with indigenous communities focused on women and enable them for economic sustainability but keeping in view environment culture and social sustainability so that's our new mission
0: got it if everything is a funnel and we can argue about this if you want but if everything is a funnel at some level right your early experiences are at the top of the funnel. This is for you, right? Yeah. What drops down to the bottom of the funnel for you as you get older and get more experience and continue to build Taraja Mello? What do you take from the other stuff that you had, not just the logistics, but working at these bigger companies that can then help build this into something that actually is sustainable? Because- it's not a charity, yeah? It's a business, and you don't want it Indeed. to be the first. You want it to be the second. So you have to square the profitability and sustainability inside of all these other things that you want to do. So how do you put those things together?
1: Again, very, very important. I think we need more and more people who've had corporate experience to come in this part of the world, in okay. this part of uh, you know, business. The reason being, um, with exposure to corporate world, we end up having this professional process um, and a business orientation, which really helps in charting out path, especially when you're crafting, you know, a strategy and you're marrying your value creation with financial, right? Yeah. So it makes you understand that what what makes it sustainable. So I think that was really, really critical for me. And it also honestly, um, give you give, gives you the perspective of working in uh, different Kind of setups and environment, right? Developing that work ethic, yeah. Yeah. And so, so honestly, that was very, very critical. Like the process mindset, being able to think through things, being able to prioritize. You know, how do you marry? How do you find that balance? I am very grateful to my experience in DHL and Lazada for that, because that has helped me, right? Including the two startup experiences, yeah, (laughs) because that helped me figure you know, what to do, what not to do, and what takes priority, right? How do you navigate uh, through ambiguity in this VUCA world, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. The reason why I ask you that is because people always ask me, like, you worked at Goldman Sachs, and now you're doing this. They don't seem to be related at all. And once I break it down for people and show them, well, here's, you know, I was famous for process there. I have to do process here. So I take the process stuff and I put it over here. That's what I learned. I learned to be professional and on time and like respect the client or all these other things, which is no different than what I'm doing over here. And as if you just remove the end product, I can attach anything into that system and do it systematically and make the output better if I understand it. But just like you were saying before, where you felt like, trapped is the wrong word but like you couldn't express the things that you wanted to express you've now found yourself in an environment where you can so I feel the same way to a certain extent where where as before I looked around and said this is really great and I'm learning a ton but shouldn't we do this other thing another way and the answer was absolutely not now I can affect that you can do the same thing yeah
1: agree agree and what we what we are bringing forward are transferable skills right Yeah. exactly the end product can be anything but we learn these transferable skills and how we how we apply so I, I i couldn't agree more with you and again it's this sense of agency that you get when you're operating yeah. on your own right yeah. um with with lesser barriers exactly because not that i didn't do i was always as i said the seeds of volunteering working for causes related to women, environment, education, I have been, right? I have been doing since a very young age, but to what level, you know, to what level can you give time? Can you give it direction? It was limited by various factors, right? Here now, those factors are less, not that they disappear, but they are much lesser. I have a stronger sense of agency and I can set directions. For Toraja Melo, I can decide that, this is what we stand for as long as, you know, it's good of the organization. And, and and that, I think, it brings in a great sense of, of course, responsibility, but also a sense of agency that I stand for this, right? And I think that's been quite freeing for me, yeah.
0: How do you transfer that sense of agency Right, this idea that this idea that your parents gave you—that you can do whatever you want, but you have to take responsibility for it. You have to own the good and the bad, the successes and the failures, and that the failure does is not fatal. And this is something I used to say to my daughter when we lived together. She's now at university. No individual day is fatal, right? But you have to own it. So how do you transfer that sense of agency and convince people? Because remember, before we talked about this idea of not being prescriptive. So there's not just one way to behave but there's a philosophy around the behavior. How do you transfer that?
1: Very interesting. I think the thing that's really worked is living it on walking the talk. There's one thing I stand for is I say what I mean and I do as I say, right? So people, if I'm talking about this, they will see me doing it. And I think that makes an impact that they say, okay, she is like this, right? If she's nagging you about plastics, she herself is strict, right? You don't see a moving with a plastic bottle later, right? Because that's cognitive dissonance. <laughs> so I think, first one, first way to gain that uh, acceptance or gain that uh, is by walking it. Yeah. And then the other part is that trying to see what you can do to create a similar environment for others so that they can express themselves, right? right. So which is why for my younger team members, my mentees, uh, interns, I do whatever I can to create the environment where they stand for you know what you know, they figure out first of all, they what their values are because that itself is a journey. yeah, and then if they can stand for things and you know own their lives, because often most of us are living lives that are not our own, and we are caught in the spiral, and yeah. these are the richest of people to whoever, right. Yeah. There is no, like, this goes across classes and whatever. And when you see that in my mentoring, coaching, or whatever advising I do or sharing, that's what I try to tell people, that you have to own this. Whatever it is, please live your life. You're not getting anything else. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I want to say one thing, and then I'm going to ask you one more question, and then I'll let you go. But I remember when I was a kid, somebody saying, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I just, I can't get it out of my head, and I just refuse to do it. I'd rather... I used to, I've always said, like, I'd rather be destitute and poor than live this life of, like, quiet desperation. The last thing I want to ask you, because I do feel like you and I could talk for hours and hours, which means we'll have to have you (laughs) back. But you've used the word stories a lot. Why are stories so important? And how can we help some of the women that you're helping in these indigenous communities to tell more of their stories? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, stories are super important because they they then take the context beyond you know where they are happening to other places, right? And it's mm-hmm. one of the best ways to communicate, right? Is yeah, is to is to you know it's it's it manifests into this uh this tale, right? And it's so much more relatable than than essentially giving some facts, right? I can yeah. also burden you with facts. You're gonna just fall asleep, but yep. if I tell you the story about a woman and how her life changed, it just makes it so much more relate- relatable, emotional connect, and yep. it stays with you longer. Yeah. So I think that's why we believe that stories need to be told and shared, and also why stories are important because Michael, we are all suffering from stereotypes about different parts of the world, right? Yep. Yep. Where one part thinks this is what is happening, and I think hopefully the real stories when they come out, they they bridge that gap of understanding of what you know these people and their world is like yeah how could you help these women well please buy our products share our stories um, we are always looking for partners who would want to work with us on you know various ways like co-designing a product, going and working in the communities you know doing capacity building, And, um, or work with us, right? Figure out ways in which we could look at synergies. So really in many ways, you can be part of this journey. Um, I think I've told this to you before. I believe that future of any business and our world is collective action collaborating. We can't do this alone. There is so much to be done. We've made a mess of the world. I think the kids are going to look at us, are, are already looking at us and, you know, with their eyes rolled and so I think it's incumbent on all of us to really work together look at collective action rather than thinking of okay this is my competition and I'm going to work in my silo so that's been my core focus so I'm really looking forward to having anyone or whoever reach out to me and say hey Aparna I want to know what you're doing Is there ways we can work with you, collaborate, and, you know, take this forward?
0: What's the best way to get in touch with you? What's the best way for people to reach out to you?
1: Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, my email. I can pass to you. I'll give you all my details. I'm available on all social media platforms except TikTok. It just can't do that. (laughs) Sorry. But please, please reach out and uh, let's have a conversation. Got
0: it. Aparna Bhatnagar Saxena, the CEO of Toraja Mello. Thank you so much for doing that. That was insanely incredible.
1: Thank you. I had, it was literally like I'm catching up with a friend. We we have to catch up, Michael, okay? We have to have a separate call. (laughs)